Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Eden Brook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey guys, welcome to the show today. This week, I'm talking with my buddy Brent Barkus. Brent is one of my favorite guitar players that I've followed for many years. He's toured with Shania Twain, Stephen Curtis Chapman, and DC Talk, just to name a few. We are discussing the importance of getting the same sounds as the artists that you want to play for and having a humble confidence when going in for an audition. Plus, we talk about his new company, I-65 Music, where he creates custom commercial music for ad agencies and TV promos for various networks. Grab a pen and paper, get ready to take lots of great notes. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I am with my good friend, Mr. Brent Barkus here in Nashville. How are you today, sir? Hey, hey doing awesome. Thanks Man, for having me. It is good to good to see you and good yeah, to have you on the awesome. show. I'm Thank so you. grateful that you are wow. willing to come on and it's an honor. Tell your story and I love it. Oh, yeah. man, it's an honor. Thanks. Now people are going to know a little bit, people that have followed since season one. Your brother, Blaine Barkus, was on the the show back yeah. then. And we had a great conversation and we talked about you and kind of how you guys came up together. And yeah. he talked about a little bit of how you got started in music and professionally, those types of things. Um, so I wanted to have you on just to ah, kind of tell you. your story more in depth okay. and what you do nowadays. Now, um, a lot of people know you because you've toured with Shania Twain and Stephen Curtis Chapman mm-hmm. and uh, artists like that and as a guitar player. Right. And, you know, those are two of the biggest artists in the country world and in the Christian music world that you could ever hope to play for. And that's amazing. Um, but you also nowadays, and we'll get more into this later on, but now you work more in the TV and film Mm -hmm. world. You have a company called I 65 sound Mm -hmm. and, um, working with a lot of promos and things like that. And that's one of the reasons I really want to talk to you is because that's such a unique Mm -hmm. kind of perspective. Um, a lot of people that I work with do music, for do sync music mm-hmm. for TV and film, but as far as like actually getting to put together promos mm-hmm. themselves for TV shows, anytime someone watches a commercial and there's a, a promo for the like Yellowstone or, yeah. or or Comedy Central or something like that, yeah. you're putting those promos together. So we'll get into that a little okay. bit later on, um, how how that works for you. But um, let's just kind of back up for a minute. Yeah. Tell us who you are, <laughs> where you're from, uh, h- how you got started in, in this crazy world we call yes. music. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, Brent Barkus. Um, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, in the Midwest, and uh, ended up, um, gr- you know, grew up in a middle middle of America. You know, just uh, a great childhood, um, suburbs of St. Louis, uh, west of downtown, and uh, I just had a great childhood. I, I had uh, two two parents that lived, you know, lived with them my whole life. They were, they stayed married and, um, grew up in a, you know, 
just kind of a great town. We rode our bikes outside and uh, was way into sports and got into music uh, in middle school. My parents loved music. They weren't uh, musicians. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, aunts and uncles, I had some other people in the family that actually were musicians uh, in the, and uh, before them. But they loved, you know, they, they, they loved music. They played it around the house. They were, dan- they were in dance clubs and stuff when I was a kid. And uh, so it was around middle school where I was way into sports. But uh, I haven't, like I said, you mentioned my brother Blaine, six years older, and he was a drummer, very talented, and um, had some really great, you know, pop rock cover bands in high school. And mm-hmm. so I, it just kind of, he had a lot of music going on. He had a drum set in his room. So he was always, you know, playing the Who and practicing drums upstairs, super loud. But my parents were very gracious. They let us, you know, he, they let him bang around. And, and so um, as I watched kind of his, you know, his uh, passion for that as a as a kid, I I kind of got into music and listening to his bands, going to his shows. They did a lot of battle of the bands, you mm-hmm. know, it was a fun thing to do. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, early on, I, I I was drawn to guitar, and um, my mom, you know, like I said, they let me try everything, whether it was sports or music. So like Saturday Saturday morning, she was faithful to uh, sixth grade, sign me up for the local music store. We actually had Mel Bay in town, which was like the books. Oh, were, wow. Yeah. So Mel had a store in town, really? in Kirkwood, Missouri. All his books came out of there, the publishing. Uh, but actually, I, I would go in and out of there for you know books and stuff. But there was a store you know in town that was more of uh, had had more of the, um, uh, the guitar teachers there. You know, so she'd take me every Saturday morning, and I hooked up with a great teacher. I'm still in touch with John Goldstein, who was just great because he would, you know, he knew I was I loved pop radio. And I was more of a top forty kid, so and I was loved to play by ear. So I was always trying to pick out parts of police tunes and. Duran Duran and stuff so he would always break up my lesson so it wasn't just book stuff so yeah so I got into that you know I loved my lessons and it was every week and we would do half the lesson would be you know picking out bring my favorite tunes and he'd help me you know pick them out by ear and then the other half would be kind of learning how to read notes and chords and so I got theory you know which was nice and learned learned that and then but really developing my ear and him being really helping me kind of find my you know, how to find those sounds and the register on the neck of where maybe those parts were being played. So I really got into that. And that's kind of, I did that all through middle school and then high school, found some guys. And actually some of the my brothers, uh, you know, being six years old, some of those guys that he was jamming with, they had this cool basement in town where they, you know, it was kind of a sliding glass door out to the outside so we could come and go. And they'd always be practicing on the weekends. His his buddies, brothers, we're doing the same thing. We're playing, you know, we're learning to play too. So we ended up becoming, having a band. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. That's cool. So yeah, so we ended up having a drummer there at this house that my brother would rehearse at. And so we would rehearse when we could. And we, yeah, we just learning cover tunes and playing. We'd play dances, local dances in high school. And um, and then, you know, Blaine and I started playing some together too as as we got a little older. As it was later in high school, I started kind of playing with uh, with Blaine. He, had a, he went on to University of Missouri and, and doing like the fraternity thing and all that. So... He would actually have me up, and I'd play some play some of their dances and stuff. It was fun. So yeah, I got passionate about it in high school and just like fell in love with music, you know. So yeah. So what was it that made you decide to want to? Because you ended up going to Belmont yeah. here in Nashville, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So mm-hmm. what was it about that drew you to Belmont? Well, it was interesting. Uh, I didn't know anything about Belmont, and um, I was a huge, you know, MTV watch. V, I don't think VH1 yet, but MTV. All, you know, I love music channels, and I was very focused on like. Uh, certain guitar players, and I would, you know, I, I watched everything they did. I loved the performance side. Mm-hmm. I loved their hair. I mean, I, I, I got into everything about those. And um, there was one guitar player. It was interesting. Well, a couple, but the first one was a, I was in a band called Mister Mister. There was I love that band, and uh, they're more of a, you know, it was more of a, it was slicky synthy, but they had a great guitar player named Steve Ferris, and I just loved this guy. He had crazy hair, and he, 
I just and so I had a couple VHS tapes of them. I'd recorded like spring break concerts and and I would just wear it out watching every part and sound he had and well I wrote him. I thought you know I just thought I'm gonna write this guy. I mean it was before internet you know yeah, so I had to write him a letter. Physical, but I didn't know how he lived right? in L A. Yeah so I was like how am I gonna you know but I thought I want to write this guy. I want to find out. I, re- I had read something. I think I was on their fan club that he'd gone to Berkeley or something. I thought oh man music school maybe that's what I want to do and so I mean I was. Relentless. I, f- I found out where he was from. He was from Fremont, Nebraska, and I called his mom out of the blue. <laughs> I get zero. I don't know. You know, information for Ferris. Tracked his number down. She picks up the phone, and I'm I'm like this. I think I was in. I was a freshman, maybe or ju- maybe a sophomore. I said, "My name's Mervar. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I love your son's playing. Is this is this Steve Ferris's mom? Yes, it is. And I thought, oh boy, she probably thinks you know I'm a stalker or something." I was like, oh, I just love your your son's plane. I said, if I send you a letter, would you send it on to him? Because I knew he was in L.A. He wasn't, she wasn't going to give me his address. You know, He was a star at the time. And she's like, well, sure. And I said, well, I'm trying to figure out music schools, if I want to go to music school. And I knew that he went to Berkeley. Sure, I'll, you know, I'll send it. So I did. I wrote this letter, like two pages. You know, you know, I'm really interested in music. I don't know what to do with my life, you know. So I send this letter off to her. I mean, and so I'm checking the mailbox and, you know, and, and, uh, Sure enough, one day I get this letter from this guy, Steve Ferris in L.A., and no return address. Yeah. You know, you know yeah. And it's like four pages handwritten, and right. I was just like, I was just glued to this thing, you know, and I was like, basically, like, here's how, here's what I did. I'm not saying this is, you know, I, I, I did go to Berkeley. I didn't finish. There's a lot of great music schools, North Texas State. You know, it depends on if you want to do jazz. You don't have to go to music school, you know, just be in a music town, so I'm getting all these, I'm trying to figure out what he's trying to say, you know, and this is the only letter, you know, kind of like at the end, he was like, good luck. This is the only letter I'll ever write to you. Kind of like, don't, don't keep, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is your yeah. one shot, you know, thank you for writing me, but I'm not going to keep this, you know, and I was like, yeah, I got it, you know? Yeah. So I was like, whoa, handwritten letter from Steve Ferris. But it, but it, it opened my mind to, okay, music schools, is that, you know? So that was my first introduction to music schools. Okay, maybe I want to go to North Texas, but I wasn't a jazzer. Yeah, I really wasn't into jazz, but I wanted to keep growing as a player. Uh, and then I, okay, and then Blaine slowly, you know, I started, you know, I loved pop music, but I had gotten into Christian music, so I'm listening to yeah. Christian music. And Blaine had got, gotten into Christian music in college, and so I was starting to hear about, this was early on, you know, like uh, middle, mid-80s, so it was like early Amy Grant, early Michael W. Smith, mm-hmm. uh, White Hart, you know, early stuff, and even like earlier than that, late said it was like Keith Green, California stuff kind of right. was happening, and... So I was starting to listen to these bands like Jeff Moore in the Distance and Steve, a little bit of Steve Curtis, but more like more of the guitar, you know, rockier stuff. Um, and then Michael Lee Smith, obviously. Well, you know, then since I was such a studier of, well, who plays on this record? You know, Dan Huff or who, right. who are these guys? I've never heard, you know, studio guys and then live guys. And so Blaine, somebody had, I don't know if I'd seen, you know, he was way into it. And so maybe we went to a show uh, or, and then that was kind of around the time, uh, you know, it was Big Picture, which was like 86, maybe 87. And there was a guy on stage named Chris Rodriguez. And yeah. I saw this guy and I was just glued. I was like, this guy is so cool. I just yeah. looked up to him. I thought, he plays great, he sings great, looks great, great performer. And I just, I just kind of fell in love. I really just started to think, I, I want to be a side guy. That's why I love it. I want to perform. I love playing in my, you know, I had a band, like I said, in high school, and we were always playing shows. I love being, you know, being out in front of people playing. So 
Blaine, you know, started kind of getting to know some uh, people in the biz. I, he had a friend named Don Donahue that was an a and I don't know if you mentioned him, at A&R at Reunion Records. And at the time, Reunion was like the place. To, you know, Amy was, I would say Michael was there. Blanton and Harold managed Amy, I think. So he knew Don, who put on maybe a Michael show in Columbia, where Blaine went to University of Missouri. I don't know if he got in all that. but And so he got to know Don. Well, then that kind of got us know, like, where we could kind of get to know a little bit more about when they came to town, like, you know, not backstage as much, but just getting good seats. And well, I think Don maybe had told him that I, hey, I was up, you know, I was in high school, guitar player, thinking about going to music school. Well, Chris ended, you know, Chris, him and Don were buddies. He said, yeah, I'll meet, I'll meet him. I'd love to meet him. So I met him one night, Six Flags in St. Louis. Chris Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was there with Amy Grant or something, and uh, he was heart in motion to no leave me on maybe. And uh, he just came out one night. It was very kind, just, you know, back kind of like side stage. And I introduced myself, and he said, have you thought about Belmont? I was like, Belmont? I don't think about Belmont. He had gone there. He said, man, great, great Nashville school, great town. Uh, and Professor John Pell, he's just super great. You know, we'll take your guitar playing to the next level, and you'll be in a, in a music town. You should really look into that. So that was kind of my long story short of just had – yeah, I'd submitted uh, information to Berkeley and North Texas, and then we came. I, my mom and dad said, "I'll take, we'll take you down there." So I came down, kind of did the tour in my junior year, senior, early senior year, and just kind of fell in love with. And so I was, as my life was changing, and you know, I was kind of really getting, I was really into Christian music and pop music, but I was starting to enjoy those artists, and and uh, and just the music was was cool, you know, and so. And I was learning about all the players on these records and stuff. I just thought, man, this is where I want to go. I want to kind of be in Nashville. And um, yeah, so basically did the audition and, and met John Pell and kind of had the Chris Rodriguez connection. Because Chris was kind of like, you know, him and Dan Huff, there were a few key musician guitar players that were kind of John's uh, protégés, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. have come out of the school. So he was, they were using, they were just really recommending John as somebody that could really kind of get you ready for the next chapter or the next level of a working musician you know be sure. ready for all styles anything just to kind of and that was i appreciate that from john when i got in it was like having to um prepare you for you know you might not be the guy that plays on all, all the stages you but but i'll get you ready to play you know weddings and events you know or whatever kind of music you need to play to, if you really want to make it as a musician as a guitar player just, now, how important that, was was that you know what? I probably could have. I looking back, I mean, I took it serious, but I was so focused on I want to play as a I want to be a sideman to the stars or to the to artists that yeah. are successful. I always had that as this is what I really want to do. But I feel like I thought, but if I need this win- chapter of time to kind of to meet people, and I thought well, I'm just going to go hopefully and and you know learn as much as I can about guitar and music mm-hmm. and take piano and never had taken piano and and just be a music student for a while and just really kind of just learn as much as I can you know yeah. so I probably you know I didn't like I said I there's things I probably could have learned more like on, on the jazz side and things but I was pretty focused on and that's a whole nother thing you know that that was a key part for me is when I once coming down here and getting in the dorms it was really the, the guys that I was around in the dorms were really the catalyst for me of getting my first early work because we were all these young musicians like playing together studying and getting to know other producers and singers and artists around town that so was kind of were the those start of it so were those guys that you like your roommates and in friends in school were they getting opportunities yeah. before you that were opening yeah. up some, some doors a little for bit you? and not just guitar players but other you know drummers and keyboard players stuff so yeah. but it took a while you know my freshman and sophomore year it was really more just be on campus and 
and get in classes and and uh, play all the you know we started playing all the um, recitals and you know gigs around school and learning Nashville and you know and it was so early this was like 89 90 so you know at the time music was so separate country music and Christian music were totally islands they were siloed you know they weren't musicians were either one or the other mm-hmm. you know and I was coming from Midwest where I I grew up on you know pop pop music you know pop and rock so so that was you know so obviously you had guys that were your Brad Paisley's or guys that were coming up had played telly and, and country music and then you had guys like you know me and and guys that were more into the studio pop rock or jazzers you know yeah mm-hmm. everybody was kind of in different pockets sure. but classical and so it's kind of the start of it with the dorms, just meeting the right, meeting people, meeting guys that were going to be the next players that were going to, you know, be in town. That was mm-hmm. kind of the, uh, and we didn't know that at the time. We were just like, but, but you know, you had drum sets, everything in the dorms were just this walk, you'd walk in the middle of the night, everybody just jamming and playing and learn, you know, people staying up, just doing their thing. You know, the yeah. dorms were full of musicians. So, so let me ask you the yeah. question. This is kind of just throwing this out there, but you just said, you know, being the guys who are going to be, who are going to end up being those players you know those those star players or whatever um you know the future it guys Mm -hmm. so to so to speak but you're not not knowing that you don't necessarily even think about that hey we're going to be we're going to be the guys that are on the albums or out touring with these artists in the next couple of years you know like is it best to not think that way yeah and and, and i'm not saying we were like there was no like confidence like we are going to be the guys right but we but I felt like we were, we just were excited and we felt like, hey, we're in town, you know, we're in Nashville and we started to know how that community, you know, you start learning kind of the artists and the, the studio players and the, and you start worrying about the live players that are the generation ahead of you. Mm-hmm. You get to know them, or, you know, not know them, but maybe you do. You try, you know, we, there were times where I had coffee with Dan Huff. He was kind to like sit down with me and, and you know, chat. I was just a kid in college, you know. Yeah. So you're around it, you start to know, and then as those new artists start coming out, that's where after a couple of years you start hearing about new artists that want or looking for bands and records that are being made and new producers, and and then that's kind of how it kind of the referral thing starts to happen out of out of those pool of players. Yeah. So yeah, I don't. I think it's more just, you know, like I said, excitement, get down here or New York or whatever, wherever you end up. But I mean. And I think it was just more like, hey, I want to be around it. I want to get in in the middle of it and around the next core, and not, and because that that's where all that kind of was starting to to kind of breed those next generation of mm-hmm. working people, you yeah. know, in the industry. So yeah, I mean, I've had the conversation so many times about how important it is just to know people and get to yeah. know people it's and all, build those relationships. And yeah, yeah, you know, and and uh, people have to be sick of me saying that every episode it feels like we do this, but. You know, that's really what it comes back to. And we yeah. keep just reiterating that, that it's so important that, you know, you're getting to know people and build these relationships and opportunities, you know, because they open up opportunities. And you're right. not doing it for the for the purpose of, hey, I'm, this guy's going to give me an opportunity, right. you know. But it's just kind of a natural progression, hopefully. Yeah, that will become, yeah. That become the case. Yeah. You know, and build good friendships along the way. And, you know, because everyone, you're attracted to people that are doing what you do or mm-hmm. what you want to do. That's right. just natural. Yeah, totally. You know. And so I think that's such an important aspect yeah. of, of what it is that we're doing and, and yeah. how those things kind of grow. So what ended up being your the kind of catalyst out of Belmont to get you that first job? Like what was it and how did you end up getting that? Yeah, um, well, it was uh, a couple players out of um, 
out of the dorms out of Belmont. I uh, played on, you know, a few like uh, senior recitals. That was a big deal at Belmont was like the uh, singers, artists that were coming, you know, uh, graduating would do their big music students would do their big recital as part of their you know graduation. So I was jumping in to be one, you know, you want to be one of the players that are kind of doing that because that's kind of, you know, you got all the other students and, and people watching these senior recitals. So, you know, you're trying to get in those bands, you know, and it was just more of an it was more of friends, you know, but so I was doing a lot of that. And there was a, a a new artist in Christian music. Actually, she was art, uh, artist of the year. Her name was Cindy Morgan. Oh yeah, and oh, man. Uh, it was a big record. She's amazing. Yeah, and the record was oh, was it Reason? Uh, I thought I had that little my touring tag. I can't. I got my little tag. But um, yes, she was super new. Uh, had done a, a huge record, you know, and uh, and she either you know I don't know the exact connection, but um, she was friends with a guy named Tony Miracle, who was a programmer, keyboard programmer. And they were buddies, and she was getting ready to go on her first tour uh, from that record and uh, opening for Petra. <laughs> I don't know how those two got put together. That is because she was worlds. super pop. She was like Janet Jackson, you know. Or she wasn't a dancer, but it was real yeah. slick pop. If you listen, to it. and I don't know, maybe they just thought. I think the management was the same or something. But I thought okay, but so she needed a small band to to front Petra you know, to open for Petra. So Tony was the programmer, and they decided to do uh, drums, keys, and guitar, and, and vocals. Somebody, you know. So Tony, and then he got a guy named, um, oh, not Brent Milligan, he plays bass. Um, his name was Brent. Not, that's terrible. But anyway, he was playing drums, and they needed a guitar player. And I, uh, Tony and I were friends from Belmont, and he got this this gig to basically program and, and run all the you know loops and stuff. And um, so I auditioned for that, and it was like a it was it was crazy. It was like that was it. it was starting to hear about these little auditions and things. Hey, Cindy's going out, you know, new artist of the year. Do you want to come out and audition, you know audition for that? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. so he connected you with the with the, the audition, audition process. Yeah, he knew he needed a guitar yeah. player, and that's what I you know. And that one, so that one, yeah, went well. Hit it off with Cindy, and that was a fun tour. That was my first time ever on a bus. Well. As a musician, I, I have another story on uh, when I was at Belmont. I was a guitar tech for a country artist. That was a whole other experience. But and that was just that was a summer where I wanted to stay in Nashville. I don't mean to backtrack, but no, no, no. I uh, so I, the, my first two years at Belmont, I I went home uh, for summer work just mm -hmm. to go back to St. Louis and yeah. and live at home and save some money. And my dad always had me doing kind of manual labor, which I learned a lot from that cutting grass or roofing crews. And after my sophomore year, I thought. Man, I gotta stay in Nashville in the summer. And just keep playing and meeting people. So uh, yeah. So after my sophomore, uh, after my junior year, I said I'm staying in Nashville. Get gonna go valley. So I got a valley parking job downtown. Oh, I've done it. Nice, yeah, man. <laughs> I know it. That's my first job. Yeah, I moved to town. loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I found a uh, we even Maribel's on Second Avenue. We did that some. It was a company that had all these different spots, and yeah. we worked for them. And uh, did that, and then uh, uh, oh, I. I did that, and then I got this job. I don't know how I got connected as a guitar tech for Sweethearts of the Rodeo, and it was Janice yeah. Gill, who was Vince's wife at the time, okay. before, yeah. before Amy. And I, don't, I can't even now remember, but I, there's somebody said, hey, there, you know, do you want a summer gig? It's, it's pretty good money per show, and you're basically just taking care of two acoustics. It's a cool band. You'll be on a bus. And I'd never been on a bus, so I thought, oh, this is great. You know, I'll be out there. I'll tune her guitars, and we traveled. We did some European stuff. We opened for Dwight Yoakam a little bit. It was cool. Who was great? Uh, anyway, so I learned a ton. That was I'm glad I did that because my first experience of it was tough because I'd never teched for somebody. Yeah, you know. let's talk about yeah, that for a minute yeah. because there are a lot of people that are listening that you know 
that would love to be a guitar tech. Yeah. And that basically that means taking care of the guitars for the artist, you know, side stage and changing strings, making sure they're in tune. If something's yeah. broke, it, you have to fix it right. really quickly or, you know, there's kind of all this so that the artist doesn't, you know, not having to deal with it while they're pl- trying to play a show in front of thousands of people. Exactly. Right. So, um, and I've never guitar teched for anybody. I've I've come close. I've had, kind of been given a couple opportunities to possibly do that. And, you know, part of it kind of terrifies me. Yeah. And, and it's like, I know how to do all that stuff, yeah. but it like, it just kind of like, moment, it's... Uh, at the moment, it's like, I, you know, that'd be a, kind of a stressful thing. I guess once you get into it and are used to doing it, obviously that, that changes. Yeah. But, but talk to us about what that, what that is like. Like, yeah. what are you doing as guitar tech and how, you know, is it stressful? Like, is it as stressful yeah, I, as it seems like it might be? Or? I, I felt like it was. I mean, you know, but I, and may, you know, once you get in the groove and you know the show, I think maybe it, you know it eases up kind of like a sure, you know. But you know, during the day, it's it's obviously you're there early and you're uh, you know restringing, making sure new strings, um, making sure the pickups, batteries, nine volts. Thankfully, this was kind of a lighter one. I didn't have like a full you know electric rig, yeah, yeah. So I was just dealing with DIs and acoustics for her. Um, and uh, but yeah, there's still like. I mean, it's more like the, to me, like the sh- during the show, like just staying on top of capo changes, odd tunings if there's any drop Ds or open tunings and capo positioning. So I had this like strobe tuner, and then you're you know you got the set list, and you're just making sure you're ready for the next tune. And the tricky thing is there were a couple of times she'd break a string, say mid song, or in, and then that that guitar might need to be used. You know, you got a song to basically get it back or. It's that kind of stuff, and you're changing acoustic guitar strings. It's is you got to be on your on your game with that. Yeah. You know, you got like three minutes. Maybe yeah, to man. Get I'm it like, to... oh, what she you know what she break? Got to find it. You know, and you got to get her ready for. So you got to get her the next guitar for the next song, and yeah. then you got this one with the broken one. She you got three minutes basically. Plus, yeah. you can hear what's hap- You can hear what's happening in the show, and you're trying to focus on tuning a yeah, string, right, exactly. trying to get it str- uh, restrung. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you're hearing the song. <laughs> exactly. You're like two different yeah. things in your ears. You know. Oh man, yeah. So it, was, it was a little, yeah. So I learned a lot. I learned a lot about um, trying to take care of somebody, and mm-hmm. and um, you know, just be on top of it. And also, you know, it was kind of a we're all in one bus, which was interesting. You know, just being on the bus, the artist. It was a you know, they weren't a huge act, but they were doing okay. And so we were all in one bus. So you know, just learning that was a huge thing of learning how to like get along with people in such tight quarters and become a team player and. Um, you know, they're different personalities and in the country, it was a early, it was like, it was kind of not a rough bunch, but it was like older guys that had been kind of on the road a while, a little jaded. And I was this young guy, you know, kid that was excited to be in the music business and mm-hmm. finding my way. And so that was a little tough, uh, learning a lot there. And, but I was back and forth. I was on, it was kind of a weekend warrior. And then I was on, I was parking cars and, yeah. but it got me here full time. And I, and I'm so glad I did that. Cause then back to the Cindy Moore in the first tour, the bus experience was not as, um, First, it wasn't first time, you know, right. but it was with some really nice, great people, you know, more or all, all our same age trying to like find our way as musicians and artists. And that was cool. So that was good. We did that for about six months or a year. And that was that Petra tour. I think it was called Beyond Belief or something. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Something like that. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was like early night. That was like 92. Yeah. yeah. And then that's and that ends up kind of, you know, cascading into more opportunities, you know. So like right. once that tour is over. You know, when the next opportunity comes up, is is it now? Is it word of mouth? Hey, yeah. You, hey, it's, you no, should, it's snowballing. You should hear Brent Barkus play I because think it is. Yeah. You know. Then, 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 because and at the time the Christian music scene was was gro- starting to really start to grow, and but it was a small network of 
people touring, you know, and so you were doing, you know, with Cindy, we might have done a festival or two, so you're around all the other bands. Mm -hmm. People are watching you side stage. Now they know you're in this, you're, you've been playing with Cindy, who's the artist of the year at the time, you know, and so, and then your other friends, you, you know, it's no, you start to, like you're saying, at these festivals, they're starting to get, get gigs with other artists, and I just happened, this was kind of the next thing was, uh, a really good friend of mine from the dorms at Belmont, um, Will Denton, yeah, got the DC Talk gig, yeah, yeah, as the drummer, and they were opening for Michael W. Smith, yep. Uh, and so they had kind of a, you know, they had a bunch of dancers, Will, and maybe a guitar player and a bass player. I don't think they had a keyboard player. And they were opening. It was the free at last, but they were opening. They hadn't done a headline yet. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. Opening uh, for maybe. Yeah, Go I went West to that concert. Go West Young Man tour. I can't remember what. Yeah, Michael tour it was, but yeah. So Will took, and I was like, wow, Will got the D. That's cool, you know. So I think I'd seen Will on that, you know, and and uh, we were we stayed friends, you know, and had maybe done some small little sessions together. But we, I had done his senior recital. Mm. We did some Sting tunes, uh, just a year or two later, you know, earlier. So yeah, so I did the Cindy thing, and then I got a call from Will, um, say, hey, DC Talk's gonna headline, and. Uh, Oh, he's a guitar player. You'll know him. He was from Jeff Moore of the Distance. He had done. Oh, he opened. He played guitar for DC on the opening tour for the Smitty thing. Um, okay. okay. Anyway, I'll remember his name later. But anyway, <laughs> great guitar player. Yep. But he was Jeff. He was in Jeff Moore of the Distance, and they were getting ready to do an album and headline again. So he passed on the tour. So Will called and said, "Hey, we're going to hold auditions, but I want you to come out for. We're going to do a first headline for your last tour. Awesome. So I, you know, got the tunes. You just, you know, you're just like." And that was with tapes still, so it wasn't like they had, you know, it got easier when, you know, and there was no Pro Tools, so they didn't have any, even any of the tracks split out. So yeah. I was basically just listening, listening to the masters. To the, yeah. So you're like, you know, and, and this was something we learned at, at Belmont, or like in the kit, we were like always trying to s turn the bass down, uh, wire the speakers negative, so you'd hear, you'd phase out certain parts so you could hear guitar parts in the background. We'd do everything we could to like tr slow things down and like really hear what was going on with the, with the songs and the guitars, try to really find the parts. And then the tones. And at the time, I was really getting into, like, there was a guy uh, that really taught me a lot about sound. And uh, a guy named Dave Phillips, he was in the dorms. And he was just a student. wasn't even a music student, but he was just a passionate about guitar players, you know. And he was a guitar player, studio guitar player. So he had all this. He bought all the gear, like the Bradshaw system. He had the racks and all the whatever the L.A. guys were, Landau and Dan Huff and those guys were using. He was buying it. He just found a way to buy it. And he would put these racks together. So he taught me about gear, and uh, so I was, you know, I was, I, I was always kind of a student of trying to get the exact sounds. Mm -hmm. I, I loved that, you know, and like exactly what was on the record. So I was developed my ear to do that. So on the DC Talk thing, I mean, I was just trying to dial. I had I had a little rack and had everything programmed, and I went. I make sure when I was going to this audition, I was going to like nail all the parts, you know, and and try to look. The way that you know what's the artist doing? How do I dress? Sure. Get go to the audition as prepared as I could be. So yeah, uh, learned it all. Went down. I think we did three songs. I remember we were over at SIR, and uh, it was just one of those. I felt like I hit it off with the guys, and I mean, I didn't know you know who was coming in or what they were you know what they were really looking for if they were adding a couple guys or what. But yeah, just hit it off with the guys, seemed like it went really well, and got a call, and that was my first big kind of headlining. Yeah. So it was huge. Yeah, that so is huge. That kind of took things to another level for all of us, kind of like, because it was kind of the, you know, the first uh, headlining arena thing that I had done. Yeah. 
So that and that was, kind of that pretty much set you on your path. It for, really did. I mean, because that that all eyes were on them. They were like this, yeah. you know. They were selling, you know, they were platinum selling, I guess, at that yeah. time. And so it was like a big headlining tour. Besides Michael and Amy, who were like the, or, and there were others, uh, but they were like the first big selling tour. This DC Talk was kind of the next, mm-hmm. and and it was it was so it was driven youth driven, and I don't know. It just seemed like it was we were kind of it was the right timing and the right you know gig for me to really kind of catapult just more awareness of what I was doing and what yeah. I, what I was, you know. And of course a, that ends up bleeding into the Jesus freak album and right. tour mm-hmm. that you, that mm-hmm. you played on the mm-hmm. album, right? Mm-hmm. Not so the whole thing, but yeah, parts got to be a part of it, which was, it was yeah. cool. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, yeah that was like a life changing, that was yeah. life changing for all of us, you know, yeah. but to get to be a part of the creation of that yeah. is super cool. And, um, you know, I was a senior in high school when that album came out, wait, Jesus freak. No, I was, um, I was in college, okay. a couple of years into college at that point. But, um, you know, but just that whole era, f- you know, mm-hmm. for us was amazing, you know, and um, just to get to be a part of it mm-hmm. from your perspective, you know, yeah. to see, to it's... know that, that you got to do that and you got to help create it, you know, and then, but we got to, to enjoy it and to experience from, from an audience and listening perspective, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and that was such an encouraging thing to me because I'm a guitar player and I'm an artist and a songwriter. And so that's what I was wanting to do, you know? And so that was really a huge impact in my life, listening to those songs and learning those songs and learning how to play Jesus freak and, (laughs) you know, and uh, all those, all those tracks. And, you know, so that's awesome. So you had a huge impact in my life just by, just by doing that. (laughs) I was a very small part, but there were some, uh, you know, I, have much respect for Toby musically. He's just, you know, he's, he's just, uh, so creative, you mm-hmm. know, and has always been a super creative guy. So I've always, you know, it was a very interesting, very interesting time, you know, and the music was changing. So being a side, side person, you know, at the time it was like, you know, you're always kind of like trying to, um, kind of be as relevant as you can and, and being young and, and you're, you're so there was a lot going on at the time. It was music, you know, was evolving. And so you're trying to stay up on all that and, and be current, you know, and so there's guys coming up behind you, you know, and so you're always kind of like, I was still pretty young, but, you know, we were all young, but, you know, it's just that constant, like, what's next and what am I doing? And yeah. I got really busy, though. I was yeah. gone. Well, that... Not nonstop. Sure. Yeah. And, of course, that leads into, you going into Stephen Curtis mm-hmm. Chapman after that, right, with the Signs of Life? Yeah, right. That was before Jesus... Uh, no, Heaven in the Real World. So I, I, oh, you joined in Heaven in yeah, the Real yeah. World? Yeah, okay. yeah. So I... Uh, so he did the great adventure yep. right before. So it was interesting. You know, the timing was always interesting because, and maybe it was for them as being pretty large artists at the time for Christian music. They were uh, kind of countering. One would be they weren't touring at the same time. Maybe right. that was a plan just because of sales or you know sure. tickets. So uh, at the time after Free at Last, um, the Heaven the Real World album maybe was being made. Maybe while we were gone or so. I don't know how the time, but yeah. So. Uh, that was interesting, and then that came up as an audition uh, after that tour, and he must have, you know, was, was planning that. So it was kind of a, a ping pong back and forth on those. Yeah, so that was having the real world for an, for a year <laughs> or so or more. I don't know what that. And then um, that's kind of at that point. Then there was some the Jesus Freak recording, and the tour kind of happened after. Yeah, yeah. And then Signs of Life. <laughs> Man, just back and forth. It was crazy. The yeah, two and, then, and there was some there were some music. summers in there where I was staying. Because they were headlining festivals. Oh yeah. So and I was Play playing. For both. Yeah, and they were very kind. Stephen, oh. they were very kind. And Toby, Toby wasn't as crazy about it. He kind of liked his core. Yeah. 
he didn't he, he thought it was a little bit like uh you know steve, steve was always super gen- he's so nice he's the best but and so is toby but toby has a vision and like and sure. so is steven but i, I don't know I, toby kind of has his you know and so i think he felt a little bit like oh man like you know this, these are my guys you know yeah. but he understood that i was working and trying to make a living and so yeah so some festivals i would stay the weekend because they'd be a friday and saturday night headline and i'd play friday night with talk and then or sorry, whatever and steven so i would just stay over grab a hotel and stay and play the next night because i was trying to like just juggle them both yeah because it was summer and it was just festivals and it wasn't like a tour at the time it was maybe just doing the weekends or festivals so yeah i was that was crazy i was sticking around playing different but that was fun that was an interesting time because it was like audio adrenaline it was just it was like yeah. bands everywhere yeah you know newsboys and it's everybody like, was challenging each other and and changing the game and you know there's just yeah. a lot of stuff going on it's a golden era and it was Christian crazy music. yeah it was like all these bands and people musicians playing everywhere and so yeah, that kind of was back, back and back, back, back and forth with those four artists. Um, There's a little bit of early on. There was some for him in there. It was interesting. Yeah. That was some side stuff. We so did. you've done stuff with Dave Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. Dave's awesome. Uh, yeah, who's never, been? He's been on the show. Yeah, so. huge, huge fan of his playing. He's he's amazing. So he was on Great Adventure. Yeah. That's when he I think decided to stay home and focus on studio work. Opened up some spots. So oh, thank that you, thank so you, you got <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Dave Cleveland. Thanks for, for taking. Yeah, thanks for uh, doing the studio <laughs> thing. I love it. We're giving Brent. No, some yeah, work. him and Dale Oliver were on Great Adventure. We yeah. were great players. Yeah, and those were big shoes to fill. I was, you know, when I saw those guys playing, I was like, whoa, they're like, because Dave and I don't know a lot about. It, I know, He's got a little more. He's got some country in him. Like, I mean, he's Dave Cleveland. Yeah. Oh yeah, I he plays always, everything. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, so he stepped up. I I saw like some of his playing from that great event. Like, he just had a little more of that telly uh, finger thing that I ever had as a kid. So I was like, oh man, I better step up my my uh, you know just with with Steven, It was a little more you know just that southern mm. and the acoustic playing and stuff. I really was more from the electric guitar. I didn't. I played some acoustic, you know, but that changed my whole like opened up my world of like playing a lot of different, you know, capo and open tuning and, and learning Steven's kind of world because mm-hmm. I didn't come up with that kind of grassroots, I don't know, yeah. acoustic stuff. So yeah. I, I learned a lot with him. That's what, I, was like, that's what I grew up in. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> awesome. I love it. But just even playing like, and just watching Steven, you know, sit on a stool and play these great songs yeah. by himself. We'd take a break. I'd be like, man, how's he, some of his fingerings and stuff were just beautiful. I didn't know that yeah. stuff, you know. So I learned a lot. I mean, I took something from every every artist I've been with, but... Steve yeah. was a great guitar player. Obviously. Yeah, so, and his electric playing too was always awesome. So there were, sometimes it would be three of us playing electric because Randy Pierce was. A, I was kind of a. I played some leads, but I was singing a lot and playing, you know, some some in rhythm, a lot of rhythm, which I loved. And Randy was a great guitar player. He was a great guitar player, and uh, Steven. So just playing the team thing, you know, whatever whatever yeah. it needed. It's so funny, like for for people listening, it just kind of, you have to have a visual in your head. But it was funny a few days ago I sent you a text. Um, because I was, <laughs> oh, I was digging, yeah. <laughs> I was digging through some stuff and I found the, I loved the it. tour a book or was it a, the, was it a, like it's a, a book tour booklet from the yeah, signs? Stephen Curtis Chapman's the signs of live tour. And I was flipping through it and there was, here's a picture, here's the band <laughs> yeah. and there's a picture of all so, the players and you were in that. it. Yeah. Uh, and Will Denton was in it yeah. and different guys. And so I sent you this picture to you. And um, oh, man. just got a, a fun laugh so out funny. of it. Oh, I, got hey, man. I got one somewhere up in, up in my <laughs> attic. I'm sure I kept yeah. all my books, but um, my laminates. <laughs> so, you know, so you yeah. spent all these years in, in the Christian music world. And then you got to, I think after Signs of Life, Stephen Tour, you switched over and you got to go out with Shania Twain. Yeah. Now, 
that's a that's a different world. Totally different. And yeah. how do you make that transition? And how did you get that opportunity? Because Shania Twain was the biggest yeah. thing in the world pretty crazy. much at that point. Yeah, and you know, uh, and then I did a, I did a Michael Lewis Smith tour in '97, okay. summer '97, okay. which was awesome, and that was a blast, and met some other great people. And so summer '97 did that. Uh, so all the you know all these tours, and so you know we talked about when I first came to Belmont, country and Christian gospel, whatever you know, mm-hmm. were two like siloed industries. And as the '90s kind of started, uh, those two worlds started to kind of merge a little bit. Yeah. As country music started to come more towards the middle, like you know, more poppy. Yeah, pop influence. Um, a lot of that was the Garth Brooks thing. Um, and then session guys like Dan Huff, that you know, these guys started to kind of get hired to play on these country albums, and they were bringing the L.A. Nashville pop influence into these albums. Tony Brown, these producers, I, they, I don't know what, why they took this chance, or they just felt like this is where the music was headed. So what happened was, you know, as more of that sound was evolving, the the two worlds, the you know, some the musicians from my pool of, you know, guys that I was working with started to get recommended for country gigs, you know, because these artists were starting to sound more pop and, and they wanted band members and studio players. You know, it was all kind of starting to merge a little bit. So with the, you know, uh, as that started to happen, I came off, the you know, the Michael thing in 97 uh, that summer. And, I, you know, I was, um, you know, I... I enjoyed all. It was a lot of touring, you know. Uh, wasn't married. Oh yeah, we were married in '95, no kids, and so. Uh, but thankfully, we had dated a long time, and that was a whole other thing. Is just trying to figure out. You know, I was gone a lot, mm-hmm. uh, but we dated a long time. So we met at Belmont. And we dated a long time, my wife and I. So we kind of figured out our parameters. Like, look, we're going to be committed to this marriage. We want it to work, but we can't be gone. I can't be gone. I can't not see you. You know, this is not going to work. So thankfully, we had a, several years of working with Stephen. Like, of just kind of okay, two weeks is our max. Whether you fly out and um, or I fly home, we're going to just make this a priority. So that was awesome. So we had that as a reunified on that. Um, but you know, um, the the Shania thing was interesting because there was a time where I felt like. So my wife was had a she was is a singer and had a a, a deal on Renew Records and and she was you know obviously pursuing her thing and so we were kind of doing our own she was doing her trying to do her artist thing and uh, you know the, I, and I'm not this was just our experience but there was a point where in the mid around this time nice and where um, labels Christian labels were starting to get influenced and bought out by bigger labels right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, business was coming where Sony's and the, the big New York and L.A. brand labels were starting to see that there was a lot of revenue being made and success and these artists were doing well. And, you know, I don't know all the business side of it, but as you as that started to happen, there seemed to be a little diluting and messiness with the um, the church connection and the business side. Mm-hmm. And it just started to kind of get a little... A little different you know it wasn't it didn't feel like the early 90s where it was still like this exciting you know where it felt like it was really a core of the church mm-hmm. you know so I, I don't know there was some you know with the label thing there was just there's some stuff i was like ah this is kind of you know we felt burned a couple just some business stuff that were, and not not with some of these art other artists that you know that, that we've talked about but just some stuff that we're like this just feels you know like it's kind of like the business is starting to get weird and so we're just kind of look i was looking for something maybe something a change or different uh, you know different thing, music thing. And so, um, 
I got a call. Uh, I got a call. Well, I have, you know, I had become friends. You know, Chris Rodriguez was a great mentor. He was always encouraging. Then Dan Huff, I'd, I had kind of known a little bit, but he was kind of, you know, ahead of me, obviously a generation or two, and was doing great and starting to play on these records. Well, he worked on the, on the first Shania, Shania record, Dan Huff, and uh, it took off. It was huge. And this was like 95, 96. I was not, you know, we were not, I was not in that industry at all, a countryside. Well, Mutt Lang, who was her husband, was this big rock producer, right. and him and Dan were buddies, and he loved Dan's playing, and he used him on all these, on this first Shania record. It took off. She sold like, they were selling like a million records a month, you know, and so it, it got into like Diamond and over 10 million and had a big record. Well, uh, instead of touring, and this was like in the whole guard, everything was taken off in country, and country was starting to sound pop. As that happened... Uh, she got so big on this first album, it, she only had 12 songs, you know, so she didn't tour. But she decided to do the whole uh, late night shows and, right, right. and market the songs that yeah. way. She started hiring bands. Mutt started putting bands together, her husband. And Chris got in that world, Chris Rodriguez. he got He's a great singer-player. And so there was like him and there was a guy named um, Gordon Kennedy, a guy named Will Owsley, who's deceased now but uh, we were really good friends great musician guitar player singer all these guys were starting to get called by mutt to pull off her songs but they're all from the pop world you know but playing country and singing and playing so that happened obviously i, I knew those guys were doing that but i just didn't know anything about country music you know i uh just wasn't in that world well as as that kind of wound down and they went to make their second her second record dan dan was on the record uh, Mutt decided, hey, I got, I got a, we got, a, she's gonna tour. This is gonna be the first, you know, was, uh, the big tour was like was gonna happen in '98. So uh, I got a call from uh, Chris. Chris called me, who had done some live shows with her, and said, hey, I decided I got called by Randy Jackson, who was a A&R guy. He was gonna use Chris as kind of a band leader to put this whole thing together for Mutt. But my kids are young, and they want like a two or three year commitment, and I'm just, I just don't, I can't, you know, I can't do it right now. Are you interested in sending a tape? They're looking for people. Are you interested? And I was like, Shania Twain, who's that? I was kind of, <laughs> you know, I was like, what's this? What's this country thing? You know, it's yeah. just not my world, you know. But he said, well, have you heard of Mutt Lang? I was like, yeah. I mean, he's produced some big records, you know. That, he's involved. It's his thing. This is his baby, you know. And I was like, whoa. I knew Brian Adams, and yeah. you know, I was a huge fan of some of his records, Def Leppard, and uh, so I started listening to that stuff going back and. Uh, it's like, yeah, I'm interested. So he said, here's the here's the management's address, send a tape. I was like, yeah, send a tape, and what am I gonna send? So I like compile like VH. I sent like uh, uh, the Freak Show, I think, some live. She wanted live performance because that's what she was looking for. You know, people that have some experience on stage, and she wanted to see what that looked like. They were very visual people, and they knew what they were after. You know, so so I did. I randomly sent this, I think, a VHS of like cut up some some stuff from all these tours that I'd done. And I got a call from her management, like out of the blue, and said, "Hey, uh, Mutt and Shania, they've seen your tape. I love it. Will you fly out and, and do a Jay Leno as an audition?" <laughs> I was like, "What?" <laughs> as an audition? <laughs> yeah, late night audition. It's like, sure. And thankfully, I had done some of those. Sh- just a few, you know. I'd done some with with Talk and yeah. Stephen. We'd done some TV a bunch, and it's like, sure. So it snowballed, man. This was uh, fall of ninety, fall of ninety seven. I'd finished Michael. And uh, I get a tape. I, you know, I learned one song. Uh, it was her first single on this Come On Over album that was going to be released. And it was like this total simple, like, poppy, catchy song called, I think it's called Don't Be Stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, 
So it sounded like, you know, it sounded like 80s pop rock with some fiddles. You know, yeah. I was like, what is this? I've never heard anything like this, you know, and great vocals and big stacks. So anyway, I flew to, L- I flew to L.A. in the fall and uh, met him, walked into SAR, set up with a, guy, a bunch of musicians I'd never met, didn't know anybody in the room, and uh, learned the song. We played the song all day. And we worked it. He worked us over. Like, I was like, I've never worked anybody like this that knew every part of the song. And, you know, like, again, I was did my best to, like, really study this music without having any, you know, isolation of me in the track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at that point, though, I had had so much experience with auditions. I felt comfortable. I was, ner- you know, a little nervous because I was, these are new people, and I really respected his his work. And and it's always a little nerve-wracking with new people. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, everybody in the room was new, and uh, yeah, so you know he really knew. Obviously, he knew all the parts and had produced this project. So it was like, uh, yeah, we he kind of got us all set up for this this one performance, and then it kind of snowballed. It was like the idea of all that fall was he was going to put together different bands for each late night uh, show and basically pick the players. Oh yeah. So that was his way of putting a band together was doing these late night shows and promote the singles. And so by, uh, I just kept getting the call. And so every time I went, I had new people. And there'd be maybe a key, you know. And then by um, uh, January of 98, they asked me to join on and sign a deal for two or three years. And basically we were going to move to New York up to, up to their, they had a compound, which we called it. It was like this private place that we'd rehearse all, all, all winter of 98 um, and then he was still, put, as we were doing that, so I got in kind of early, which was nice. I kind of planted my spot, and then we were building the band up there early January, February of 98. Uh, he was still bringing people in to try to, like, really pick the right guys. And, I, and it was great, because then I got to actually refer some people, and I had Will come in, and he auditioned and did a great job, but it just wasn't perfect for what he was looking for. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I ended up getting Hardy Hemphill in, yeah. which was from Steven, right. and played percussion and sang and played keys, great. And then Roddy Chong, who's a friend, Asian Asian fiddler that uh, I knew and had played with Jars of Clay, he came in and did a great job and ended up sticking. So ended up with a few friends in the I, band. I have to say, just by mentioning that, that that is that's such an encouragement to hear because I knew that Hardy, and I, I don't know him personally, yeah, but I knew that you guys were both from Steven's band yeah. and then ended up in her band. And I always thought, how did they both end up from him to yeah. her for one? Yeah. And then, and then the, the right. fiddle player yeah. from jars, yeah. jars of clay ended up in her bands. That's such an encouraging thing to hear that artists and musicians that are in the Christian music world that can hold their own up against the mainstream pop and country world, because th- there's always been sort of this, mm. You know, like second class. Yeah, there's always been this uh, feeling yeah, yeah. in some circles that you know Christian music is the musicianship in Christian music is just not as good as it is in in pop and country mainstream right. stuff, and it's not true. No, it's never it's been true. true. Right. But that's just kind of like the the facade that's given, yeah. you know. And so the fact that you took three musicians that came from that world yeah. to play with the biggest country music yeah. artist, you know, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, speaks volumes and so that's really encouraging oh yeah absolutely and i he and he really uh and what what i what was really cool is my he you know he really wanted good people like he was trying to surround her with and he was all business which i really respected it was you know he he was very protective of her obviously but he wanted solid solid personalities he wasn't just i mean you you can't just be like a bar band guy coming out and like smoking cigarettes and drinking beer it's like it's not gonna work yeah this is like 
you know, we're talking stadiums and like, you know, he wanted, it had to be dialed in. And, and so he was looking for pros. And so, yeah, so I, you know, I knew of these guys and I thought, hey, I highly respect their musicianship and know that they're going to be great on the road and not give anybody problems. And sure. so I know he was looking to me kind of like, who do you know? Can you call? Who? <laughs> so yeah. that's why I was anybody that was still lacking these pieces that he was looking for. And, I, you know, I, I couldn't read his mind, but I knew that they were solid. They played great would be great on the road. So I thought, why not refer my friends and be, have some people that I could actually hang out with that I feel comfortable with, sure. you know, as yeah. my lifestyle. Well, whatever, look, so. just for a second, let's yeah. talk about um, the audition process, especially in a situation like that, because that, that's a huge, yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing. Um, and you're showing up at SIR and, you know, in this room full of new people you never met mm-hmm. for her and with someone that you looked up to as a producer and musician. Mm-hmm. Um like, just in general, what would you encourage people, uh, musicians that are going into an audition process? Like, what would you tell them to make sure that you have, this is what you need to know. More than anything else, you have to do these one or two, three things. Right. Um, and what are some things that you would say, let's be sure to not do, act, you know, be right. this certain way, do these certain things. Like, what are the, the ups and downs of an audition process that yeah. you would suggest for, for newcomers that are kind of yeah. getting into it the great first qu- time? Great question. I, uh, okay, let's talk, start. Like, I think there's two sides. Like To me, there's the image side, sure, and then there's the musicality side. Mm-hmm. Uh, the music side, it's learn whatever they give you, learn it inside and out. And so whether it's if you know if you're lucky to get stems or like the parts on one side these days, there's probably more of that where you actually can hear what you're gonna what you're supposed to be playing, right? Which is huge. That's great. You know, a lot of it to me is is dialing in, and, and whether it evolves later of like you know the artist at some point you don't know going in if you don't know the artist if if the live show is going to be the exact representation of the product mm-hmm. or they're going to be more of like a Sheryl Crow where we're going to jam. And we're going to explore a new sound, which is cool too. But not knowing, if you don't know, I always went with like I'm going to play it exactly like as much as I can sounds. So it's like, let's listen to okay, give me three, give me three songs or whatever. What am I hearing? You know, you got your clean sound. You know, if you're getting really whatever parts, it be anything keys or whatever. You know, it's like, what's the vibe of the music? What do I need gear wise? Sim- simple, simple gear that's going to let me walk in and not have a ton of stuff. You know. I can set up quick, you know, great sounds. So clean rig that's simple, that's not going to break when I'm there, you know. So clean, know the parts, bring a couple great guitars or instruments that, you you know, you're comfortable with. And then, so there's that side, really nail the, the parts. And, um, and then, uh, oh, also, I think if, you know, the whole singing thing, if we, I know we haven't talked a lot about it, but... It's so important to be to say yes to anything that they might ask you if you can do like and figure it out later. Right. I always learn, you know, like, you know, you might not be a lead singer. I don't consider myself this. I don't have this big lead vo- vocal where I'm going to go, you know, blow people away or anything, you know. But I said early on, yeah, I can sing backup, you know, and I love to sing. So I developed it over time more as I learned from artists and backgrounds and vocals and stuff. But singing to me, like if you can hold a pitch and you can sing with other guys, and it's huge to be able to add that element to your mm-hmm. arsenal. You know what I mean? Sure. To not be a one trick pony. Right. Uh, I've played lap steel before, but the part might just be, you know, you just never know what the parts are. They're just, they might just play a, a small little role. But if you're, if you can add that, it's like, Hey, I'll play lap steel on this. That'd be cool. You know, if, if the artist is looking for something, you know, 
uh, or a, a banjo, banjo guitar, a six string banjo, you yeah. know, it's a part that's like, uh, you know, so that kind of thing, being open to, you know, uh, coming and being creative, like maybe you do figure out if it, whatever the parts are on the record, like really nailing that. And then just when you walk in the room, there's like a, a, a humble confidence, you know, of like smiling, uh, maybe really knowing, uh, researching whoever the artist is, what their kind of vibe is, you know, whether the style style of what their music is and their clothes, and you know, just kind of trying to to elevate your to know kind of going in. You're not, I'm not wearing to a DC Talk audition. I'm not wearing creased jeans with the belt buckle. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, with a telly, it's not gonna. Right. That's not. You know, so I would know. It's kind of hip, you know, and it that evolved. But at first, it was hip hop. They had dancers. It was loops and. It was kind of, it was still kind of the, so it was kind of, you know, you just kind of know what, well, what is that genre? What are they all wearing? You know, try to look the part. Right. It's like an, you know, like I said, like a acting audition or a, you know, Broadway or something. So looking the part, coming in, and it's like, I don't know, there's something about just knowing the room, kind of come in, be confident, but not like rush up to the artist and be uncomfortable or, you know, let the artist and just introduce yourself and glad I'm here. Thanks for letting me come in and play. And mm-hmm. there's a manager there and, where you want me to set up and just kind of that it's it, it kind of you kind of get into that where it's like they probably have a spot for you already and maybe even have a rental amp and you just bring your pedal board i've done that so you have great little sounds that you you've dialed in with your pedals it's not too you don't want especially if you're a little nervous you want to be simple so you're not you don't get um you know too bogged down with like all your pedals and like and messing things up and so i always try to just go simple with the tones and try to play the parts and and, and maybe nailed some of the vocals, and they think, wow, he really listened to this. He really mm-hmm. spent some time on it, you know? So that was that. I hope that helps. I yeah, mean, totally. that, I think just, just going in the room with, hey, I, I'm well rehearsed. I know the tunes. I feel like I have a, a, a similar, uh, you know, image and look of what they're going for, mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of, you know, obviously, if you get hired, then there's like a whole nother, they might be, they'll be end up probably dressing you anyway, wardrobe, you know, whatever. So mm-hmm. just kind of going in with the same like minded vibe of what they're about you yeah know? um what would you say the average time frame for having to learn those two or three songs for an audition how long did you get beforehand to learn the songs before you went into an audition about a couple weeks okay i would hope that's is that know. still about average you think you or? Know, like i said you're right I, I haven't but um i would think for a pretty decent artist i would think they'd be you know handing out parts earlier on give people time to really learn you know mm. i mean obviously if it's a big if it's like a last minute, you know, I've I've had to chart stuff for a weekend warrior type. Like, oh, hey, yeah. can you fill in? You yeah, know, that that's different. Where that's hard, like, man. Yeah, I, I mean... I, those are nerve wracking. <laughs> where you're like, this artist is you yeah. know, needs somebody for the weekend. And you're like, got you know, fifteen or twenty songs. You got to learn in a couple of days. I've done uh, the hardest one I've ever done. I, I played with I was I played with Kenny Loggins uh, for a couple of years in the early two thousands. And Chris, that was another Chris Rodriguez. Here we talk yeah. about. Do you know Scott Shepard? Yeah. Oh, Scott, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, uh, no, Scott Sheriff. Scott Bernard. Oh, Bernard. Yeah, of course. Scott yeah. Sheriff. Well, Scott and Sheriff played keys. Scotty Sheriff yeah. plays keys. But um, Bernard, yeah, great guitar To me, player. Scott. Scott yeah, Bernard. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, Plays totally. for Kenny now. He's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and he's probably another Chris. Chris has handed that gig to a lot of different people. It's been very <laughs> sweet. Yeah. But uh, it was the hardest thing because uh, I was in, living in L.A. We didn't talk about that. Uh, and uh, it was in between two Shania tours. And I was living in L.A. And Chris called if I could fill in a bunch for him. And so I was going, that was the hardest thing because I was going into a band that was already pre-existing and mm. you're the only new guy. That's always mm-hmm. harder because you're going into the room and it's like, they all probably don't want to be there because they know the material and they're rehearsing because of you, you know? 
but you know they were cool about it and and so that was like whoa and these guys were just these hardcore la guys it was intense man after even all the experiences i'd had i thought this is i'm i felt under the and chris is such a to me like the epitome of a great side elite side musician i'd always looked up to even mm-hmm. from the amy and michael days you know i was just you know as a kid that he was like the epitome of superstar side to yeah. you know guy so what is it about that that makes you walk into that situation and be like, oh, i got to step up my game even more because, like you said, these guys all have been doing it forever and you're the new guy and they're rehearsing for you, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And you, you feel maybe inadequate to a certain degree because of... I think because Chris is such a... Well, first off, because I've always thought he's he's so great at what he does right. and, I, and I've respected that and tried to, you know, kind of... I've always emulated what he... I thought even from a performer and just the way he carries himself and... And I think, and so he was so highly regarded in that camp mm-hmm. that I was filling in for him. Felt, and I, and so I wanted to be great for to make him look good, yeah. you know, because he was uh, uh, had thrown me this work, and I was so yeah. honored of that. And then so make him look good, and not blow that, and then just so it was I over rehearsed, which I'm glad he he and he had over, and so he he was I got so prepared. I flew out one weekend to Vegas and met Kenny, and Chris was playing on that gig that weekend. So I got to watch Chris play the gig, sit with Kenny, and work on some of his songs acoustically, trying to prep me for what was expected. So that was cool. They kind of like slowly worked me in a little bit on that because it was an intense vocal and guitar spot in Kenny's music. It's not your basic one four fives. It's right. there's definitely some chords that you know I'm not. It, they're not as common. So there's some structures that are a little more intense. So I had to like brush up on some of that, you know, because yeah. I hadn't been doing as much with Shania stuff or whatever. But yeah. So I, I learned a ton there too, and it, and that's it. Going to a, going in that fire of like a well established band that you're the new guy. That's always that was a trickier audition, not audition, but a rehearsal, just because it was, um, you know, kind of an established thing that I wanted to make make a good good impression. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, sure. There's that too. So let's switch gears for a minute. Yeah. Um, I know we could sit and talk about this <laughs> stuff all day long. Sorry, but, yeah. Um, I know we both have. You gotta yeah. get. You gotta get back to work at yeah. some point. And, yeah. Uh, you have all the editing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much editing to do on this. All right. Man. Yeah. It's gonna be, this, uh, is, this is really really good stuff. Oh no, man. So, um, at some point, you transitioned out of touring full time yeah. and and doing a lot of studio work to where now you're working in the TV and film world, mm-hmm. um, which I do a lot of, and people know about that. And I think that's how you and I actually really got connected to begin mm-hmm. with. I, I'd been writing music for some TV stuff, and I, I saw a Facebook post that you, uh, of course, your brother and I went to church together yeah. uh, years ago, and so I knew him uh, long before I knew you, but you had posted something about uh, working on some project, and so I just thought, I'm just going to send him a message and say, hey, I do this too, I know your brother and whatever, yeah. and um, and you were kind enough to write back, and we got we ended up getting coffee and hanging out uh, the first time and hit it off. And, um, you know, that kind of started our friendship. And so it was fun just to sit down and kind of share some stuff with you about what I've been working on at the time and different things like that. And um, I found out that you had this company, I-65. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm curious as what led you into that transition from touring full-time and studio work to working into the TV and film industry and what is it that you do now with that company yeah well thanks um your stuff's great by the way anyway oh well, thank you like, yeah i <laughs> love it thank you very much uh, I'll, I'll pay you later that's right <laughs> uh 
Um, so kind of the quick in- exit of the touring. Yeah. Um, so I, I ended up doing the Shania thing, and that was kind of starting to uh, kind of se- did a second tour, which was the Up Tour, which was a, a super long tour. Um, and that was kind of winding down in 04. Um, and I could just feel myself. I had done all these, my 20s and 30s, I felt like I was just gone. You know, and just a lot of shows and and loved it. I, I felt like I had kind of like, as a kid, you know, I really didn't have any dreams or goals past what I was doing at the time. You know what I mean? It's like, I was like, oh, I want to. You're living it. I want to play on stage and play with artists and do these big tours. Well, you know, somehow this all kind of was playing out. And um, so honestly, I was kind of fried. You know, I was kind of burned out. We had. So in between the two Shania tours, so early 2000, my wife and I, her lab, her career had kind of on the singing thing had kind of the label thing had fizzled, and so she was kind of you know she still enjoyed singing and, and stuff, but um, we de- uh, we decided that we wanted to write songs and pursue kind of a duo, maybe an artist duo mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. So we thought, let's go to L.A. We kind of tired. Nashville was a great town, but we were just kind of kind of looking for just a new chapter. We didn't have kids, you know. This was I wouldn't have kids yet. Uh, so this was like 99, 2000. I was done. Oh, I'd come off the first Shinaita. We'd, we'd gone around the world a couple times. And so I was just, you know, when I got off, usually off big tours, it was like you kind of just sit in a room for a while. You're like, you, you know, you're so used to just being in this bubble and you don't pay bills and there's no reality. It's kind of weird. You just do these shows and and people feed you and you just kind of sit in a hotel, you know, whatever. So, you know, I got home and it was like weird, just kind of a couple of weeks of like trying to figure out what's next and, and we decided uh, to move to LA, and I just thought, well, let's do something else. You know, we kind of, kind of just re- ready for change, and thought we really want to do some music together. And um, so, and and backtrack a little bit. Mutt, when I met Mutt uh, Lang, who was the producer and Shania's um, hu- husband, he was an encourager of, hey, you know, I think you could, you know, just getting into production you know i was into kind of i got my first mac it was weird i got my first mac in 97 like when the first macintosh kind of mm-hmm. the colored ones were coming out so i was into techie kind of i like computers and i was on the road and i remember a guy named magic d magic dave he, <laughs> he worked for a company called mark of the unicorn which was motu which had digital performer which was an early daw software you know we came to a show in boston i think at shania and brought free copies to the lot to the dressing room just came as a nice jet hey check out this digital performer and i was like what's this you know and had gotten my first mac and and so in that time Mutt was like i'd kind of like been around him in the studio a little bit when we were rehearsing for this long tour i was he, he had his job i mean this was his studio complex in new york he was doing like remixes and basically creating this world this music her music was the her come on over album that we were rehearsing for this tour he was making copy versions of this music for the whole world, different formats, so that he could sell records all over, you know, right. global dominance, that. basically. Yeah, I remember that. So, like, he would be taking fiddles off and putting synths in because we were playing in London or right. releasing remixes all over the world, and it was it was working. I was like, this guy is a genius. Like, he's just all of a sudden he's, he's remixing, just pulling faders around and then putting synth down and, like, creating, like, these dance remixes, and it was just huge. So I was like, wow, this guy is, like, unbelievable what he's doing in the studio he had this giant ssl and looking out over this lake and so i'm just sitting there like on breaks watching him and and he's like you you need to get into you know and so i was starting to like play around with sense and i had the software and so on the tour i had a mac and learning software 
anyway, so I got re- I got kind of into like playing around with MIDI and learning all that and trying to record and got really just interested more than just playing, you know. So when I got home from the tour, I started really kind of we were writing a little bit and just kind of learning how to produce and. So we went to LA. I set up an old, had an, found an old office space on Beverly Boulevard. We had a studio and uh, got in. Um, basically, we were writing and pitching songs, and I got in with Warner Chapel, um, Judy Stakey. I didn't ever sign, but she was uh, Cindy Morgan. Actually, weird. It came back around. You know, she was out there writing songs for. I think she was signed to Warner Chapel. She was pitching at that point uh, her career. I think she was was pitching songs for other artists, pop artists, and stuff. So we connected a little bit in my studio, and I wrote a little bit with her and produced some of the tracks. So Judy was had all these kind of writers, and it was kind of a cool little team of where you could get in and produce these tracks for her writers, you know, because they would and pay a, you know a little money to make these tracks, and you'd pitch them to Celine Dion to be looking for songs or Faith Hill, whatever. So I kind of got in that world, and I was it was good for me because I was starting to learn how to put tracks together fast and, and get Cindy's vocal or whoever and, and, or find a singer that was similar to what artists they were pitching to. And so I got in that world and was really kind of getting good at building tracks for certain artists. And I kind of fell in love with it and I just kind of lost. Well, so anyway, we're doing all in LA. We were pitching our deal. We were playing some shows, never could get signed. Shania calls again. This was early 2000, you know, and said, we're doing the up tour, you know, do you want to do it? And so I basically then went back on the road. I, I was I was ready again. I mean, I, I, there was part of me was like, ah, do I just stay and kind of keep building my career or go back out? Because, you know, that's lucrative. Right. And sure. it's it's funding what I'm trying to do. Right. And so you're that you're torn because you're like it's feast or famine, you know. And so I was like, oh, and so, you know, I ended up doing it. Uh, and so that was a couple of years. But anyway. After that, that was that brought me to oh end of oh four, and it was just like time for change. And we were, I was gone a lot, and so we came back to. We ended up coming back to Nashville in oh five, and uh, honestly, I was I was just kind of like I'm kind of done for now. I, I just needed a break, and so I kind of got out of music and took a break. We moved, took the studio down after the tour, and but I built up a lot of these skills, you know, in the production side. Uh, and was uh, playing stuff for Mutt, you know, and he was like, oh, no, 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 you know, he, he was great. He was like a master, you know. I was like, what? Like, you know, you work on these tracks, and he's like, it's not hooky enough, or that's a bad verse. And I'd be like, man, I never met somebody that, like, rewrite this. Or, you know, that okay, I like your chorus idea, but make that the verse and make a better chorus. I'd be like, what are you talking about? I right. thought I was done, you know. Yeah. And he, yeah. I was like, dang, it's fr- kind of frustrating, but you're like, okay, I'm listening to a guy that sold, like, you know, hundreds of millions of albums. Yeah, what like am I going to complain about? Free school, man. Yeah. And I'm like, who is this guy? Like, and he makes you want to go back and shed more. I'm like, and he was never satisfied. And that's where I felt like he always, you know, he was always looking for a better. So his, like, even in mix, like I always felt like he was always still crafting the song. If, if, if he could come up with a better idea, that's why he loved Pro Tools and he loved technology because he didn't ever feel like he was done. Like mm-hmm. it, it was like, oh, I'm done with all the parts. Somebody go mix it. And then it's done. You know, he was like always re changing the kick drum pattern and sometimes in the mix mm-hmm. you know he was just that way he was just trying to find the what what could make it better so i kind of like learned that and this that that um just always kind of striving for hopefully something better and um so anyway that was kind of in me and i was just in into kind of his world i was kind of influenced by that building tracks and stacking stuff and learning how to do huge background vocals and layering and all that he was kind of just kind of learning from him on that and uh so I came back. I was super fried. Uh, we moved back in 05, and I really didn't want to go on the road. I got some offers, and I thought, 
I'm not doing it. I just need need to kind of like change gears here. And if it's going to mean getting another job and whatever it means, you know, I mean, I had we had some money, and it was kind of nice to kind of just lay low and see what was next. And so I took a year off. Um, and we actually did a, uh, my, so I grew up in, my dad was in real estate, so I kind of have real estate thing in my blood, you know, I kind of like creative side of real estate, like, you know, buying and, and, you know, flipping or fixing stuff up. And we had done some of that on our personal residences throughout the years, my wife and I, we did in LA. And anyway, so we, I bought, uh, we came back, she, she got a real estate license and I, uh, we bought a house in this, in uh, Nashville area. It was like an old, and I tore it down and I spent a year fixing up a house i just thought i'm just gonna change gears for a while and kind of re yeah. so i did it was nice it was refreshing just to kind of like take a break what do i really what, do, what am i supposed to be doing you know you just have those chapters in your life where you're like mm-hmm. is it time to, you know like to and you know i kind of learned like i feel like um you know i just always want to kind of like maybe maybe it's not maybe it's not full time maybe it is and maybe or maybe it's just a you know pivoting to something else in the music and um anyway so i took a year took a break put the studio in storage or whatever, you know, just played a little guitar here and there, but nothing full time. And then, um, yeah. And then, uh, we ended up, uh, in an apartment in Franklin. Uh, we had a three bedroom apartment. I don't know why we had three. We had no kids yet. This is 05, 06. I put the studio back up in one of the bedrooms and, uh, it's kind of an interesting, uh, but I was like kind of focused more on, I want to just try to give the production, you know, anyway, I met a guy, as kind of crazy, but uh, he was a composer in town. His name was Michael Shamblin, friend of mine from church. He was this this he was just writing tons of songs. He was writing like I, I've never seen this a young kid. He, was, he reminded me of like a Toby, some of these young artists that were writers that had so much music coming out of him from symphonies to hip hop. And we kind of hit it off. We we did a couple projects together, and he's like, man, I, I want you to kind of just be my guide to like kind of be. I'm the composer. You know, I know logic a little bit, but I need somebody to help me get this stuff down. On so I kind of jumped in, in his world and like, and I was in this apartment, and we did a couple of these big like he had the symphony he wanted to work on, and they had all this hip hop stuff. So I just like basically went to work for him as like his right hand man, and it just really it was a woodshed time for me where I I got to mix. Um, we were doing like you know all these different sounds. I was programming on my machine. Yeah, were you still trying to figure the, figure out what you're doing at the no, time, or had I, you I, on the mix side? It? Yes. Yeah. But on the production side, I felt like I was in a groove of I could I was dialed in on build, building tracks for yeah. him, and we were recording like qu- small choirs and stuff. So I was doing a lot of live like choir recording and then hip hop tracks, playing guitar, programming, mm-hmm. and then but he was leaning on me. I was his. We were he was wanting to like pump out product, so I was kind of having a it forced me to kind of figure out mix and yeah. I didn't know anything about, you know, I was mm-hmm. like, Whoa, this is like, you know, <laughs> and I had digital performer and, and he was in logic. Never ending battle so I was learning logic cause he was in logic and I was in digital performer. So I would go back and forth and, and tune vocals and, and start learning to edit, you know, tuning and stuff and performer cause I was more comfortable, but I was starting to learn logic anyway. So honestly, you know, maybe it was just my, just kind of like I'm going, I'm diving in the mix. I, and I didn't think of myself as a mix engineer, but I just thought this is my job. I want to like, make his best so i would be mixing this all this stuff but i was i was at night it was youtube i was just learning at night i would i would jump on and like okay what plugins are guys using i'd go to pensado's place it was at the time i don't know if you ever heard that show it was an online it had just come out like in the 2008 9 or whatever it was dave pensado is an la great mix engineer he started an online web show it was one of the first on you know now there's like you, know, yeah. you mix with the masters and all these you know they're all subscription based but it was the first one where he was offering free 
basically training and interviewing these all these guys that were mixing. So I would every night I'd come home like, okay, I don't my mixes don't sound good. The low end's bad. What are these guys doing? Right. You know, try this plug in. That was early on. It was like I feel like I was in this cool creative phase where, you know, this composer Michael was basically giving me. I I had I was paid to basically learn how to like get this product to sound good. Yeah. You know. So it was great. I was like in that free, it was an education. Cause, I, but at night I was diving in, man. You know, I'd be, my wife would be asleep and, I, and I'd just be like laptop watching Pinsel. I was like, okay, how did they get that? Or mm-hmm. this EQ? I, I didn't know how to sweep EQs or learn how to, you know. So it was so fascinating. I loved it. I was so yeah. passionate about it. I knew I loved production, but the mix side, I was like, man, I, I love this. I love, and then I started kind of getting, I got a few projects and I loved also just not being the creative side, but just somebody handed me some tracks and like, being fresh ears and starting from scratch. I really love that too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, now I'm just, somebody's really created something they're passionate about, but I'm going to try to make it another notch better and then hand hand off, hand off a great product, you know? So I did that for years. And then uh, I decided, uh, I, okay, so in 2014, I worked with him a lot. We did a ton of product. In 2014, I decided to start my own ICC5. And I met a creative director in St. Louis. I, I went home for the weekend with my family and this neighbor, my mom and dad's, he was out in the lawn. I was I, I was out playing throwing football with my son, and uh, I say, "Hey, man!" And we just he seemed like a young, cool guy. And he said, "I said, what do you do?" And I said, "Well, I'm in Nashville. I, I'm, I'm in the music business. You know, whatever. Try to keep it brief." <laughs> and uh, and then he said, "I'm a creative director at Purina Brands." I was okay. Like, wow. I was like, "That's cool. What do you guys? What do you do?" I was like, "Well, we create in-house brand creative. We 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 create spots, and you know, we do we promote our brands, and and we create social media content, and you you know, all this different stuff, commercials." It's like, "Wow, that's cool." And he said, "I said, he, I said, well, I do you know, I do custom music and produce, and he's like, well, we should connect. Here's my number." So I got to Nashville. I was like, "I'm calling this guy. You know, yeah. I want, this is cool. I've never done." So anyway, that's kind of my in 14, 13, 14. I I started. I called him. We hit it off. I create. So he's like, "Yeah, I think we'd be interested. In, you know, we do some custom music, and um, we use some library, and and but you know, we don't have really anybody that that's in house or anything. So we always outsource." So I was like, "Okay." So I told my wife, "I was like, man, this is a really interesting guy, and you know, he, he works for this big company, Purina. You know, they got like all these friskies, they got all these lines of companies. You know, yeah. I thought this is cool." So she's like, "We well, need to go. You need to go out and meet him in person." My wife's always good about you know. Yeah. So I, I, I called him out of the blue and I made up. I said, hey, I'm coming to town to see my, my family. Can I set up a meeting, uh, you know, with your, with your team? He's like, yeah, I think so. Let's, you know, is it next week? Yeah, I'll be in town. I said, well, maybe Friday you can come in and bring. So I brought in lunch and they had this conference room and basically set up my laptop and kind of pitched just the idea of custom music that, I, you know, I had done a couple, I'd shown them a couple, like, like I took a couple spots and created some things, you know, some concepts. And said, you know, I'm available for custom music and and uh, sounds or anything, you know, sound sound design or you know. And so they, it was really cool. So they were really nice and we're really interested. Yeah, we'll be in touch. So so yeah, I caught them at a good time. We I started doing some small like campaigns for them and really loved working on the brand side and not the artist side. It kind of mm-hmm. gave me a fresh perspective of this whole open, as you know, like now with licensing and this kind of. Um, custom music and and um sound design and mixing for brand creative basically yeah and so that kind of snowballed and i started working a lot for them doing commercials like just doing you know all their um whether sound sound design or music for some of the purine stuff that kind of took off and then i kind of got some local stuff i ended up doing stuff for the nashville predators and started just marketing back in and it's kind of then using now i'm using 
and so that kind of led to uh, you know social media. I've always been kind of a natural networker. I, I love to meet people like you do, reaching mm-hmm. out and just like you know I've had to do the same thing. Like new new industry. Hey, it's what I do. I'd love to have you for, kind of take you for coffee or whatever locally, or just connect with people. And I started using LinkedIn a lot. Like I thought, okay, if I like the brand side, the business corporate side of music, if I'm fascinated with, a lot of those people live in LinkedIn world, not Twitter. Um, yeah, Facebook. Social, yeah. So I thought I'm going to invest some time over on this side as like a music guy, but not you know as my own company and to see what I can get. So that's kind of where I started putting content out and reach and trying to connect with people on there, like with different companies. And that's kind of how the Viacom thing out of the blue, a guy at CMT, he's the audio supervisor, saw a thread or a post of mine about doing post mixing and doing some custom stuff for different companies. Out of the blue, I got a a DM from him, like a a private message said, hey, are you interested in uh, mixing some short form content for Viacom? First one was, "Do do you know Avid Pro Tools? I was like, I don't spend a lot of time in it, you know, but yeah. I thought daw, it's a daw is a daw in a way. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I'd done a little bit of mixing in it, but not much. I was kind of a logic guy. But anyway, he said, yeah, well, would you want to come down and see our studios and, and maybe do some promo mixing? We, we've got overflow. We're, we're lacking guys. And I was like, sure. So we scheduled a time, went down. To, so it, this was just last year. So, CM, so yeah, CMT is owned by Viacom. Mm-hmm. They, Viacom CBS merged last year. And so it opened up a whole ton of content, uh, you know, and, and now with OTT, which is over the top, which is all these streaming services, Viacom, CBS is now moving into major streaming, net, you know, all access type right. content and original content. So they just ran out of New York. All their creative for these networks besides CMT, which is country music television here in Nashville, but they were, uh, you know, all their creatives done in New York, but they ran out of, you know, the, they just didn't have any, they're growing and they didn't have any more studio space up in New York. So instead of spending a fortune building out an, another floor of edit rooms or mix rooms, they thought, hey, we got CMT, we own CMT. They've got this beautiful, you know, space downtown. They got extra edit rooms. Why don't we see if we could get a guy remote? Audio supervisor um, at CMT, just looking at, he, he probably, he's been there years. He just looked on, Saw my stuff and came to mind. Thought, why don't I reach out to this guy? This was on LinkedIn. Yeah, DM me. Well, I know. So I thought, there you go. I've like not just, had that much success with LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. And I just slowly <laughs> used it just to kind of like. Now I think well, since then it's helped because having the Viacom thing is kind of part of my work right. experience. I, I I'm branching out now, so I'm like I'm doing a lot of networking with Netflix, Hulu. I'm expanding my brand like all the post-production operations people and and supervise like trying to like kind of learn okay who are they hiring how are they out how, how much are they outsourcing their promo and long i really like to do some more the long form you know like shows i like get mm-hmm. into series where i'm actually maybe a part of a remote team where i'm mixing some of the post-production of the of the actual series you know their mm-hmm. original content so that's where i'm at so i'm working out of my own studio i i did uh you know, with COVID, obviously everyone's kind of remote, but it, uh, you know, what's awesome and encouraging, hopefully I can encourage those out there that are pursuing, you know, either production work or mixing or uh, studio work, whatever. It's a great time with the technology to uh, have your game, have your game on with your own place, your own remote, you know, work, working remote. It's like a, with the technology, it's so easy. As you know, you, we can do sessions from anywhere, you know? Yeah. So it's exciting. It's a great time. Yeah. And so I, I started out, they wanted me, last year before COVID, I, they wanted me downtown uh, at the CMT studios because there was just a learning curve of 
rights of of their 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 um their property international their intellectual property of all this content they didn't want floating around the cloud you know which mm-hmm. I understood all these new shows. So I went down, got comfortable, learned their their rooms, like mixed room. It was totally weird being on other people's gear and their plugins, but I kind of got my templates and got that dialed in, and then and then started. My boss, though, from New York, always said, "Look, hey, you're already working remote. If we get in a groove, I'm totally fine. You working from your place at home and your own mixed room." So that was starting to happen, and then COVID hit, and everybody was forced to go home. Yeah. Thankfully, I didn't miss a bit uh, because I had prepped, thinking I really want to do this work from my own place and be able to be at home. So I was slowly, as I was getting comfortable, I was basically bringing home my templates mm-hmm. and and uh, adding those plugins into my template here, so that it was totally mirrors that work down there. And it was by COVID, I, I just came home and we didn't miss a day. You know, sweet. Yeah. So, so what do you do uh, for Viacom? Like, what when you're working on a promo, what does that look like? So basically, you know, we share a share a server. I share a server with creative directors and producers in New York. And basically, we're uh, my job is to take uh, their basically rough. You know, they they've done a lot of the uh, obviously all the video work's done up there. I don't do any of the the, the visual, but um, uh, we do all the final mixes. So basically, we're getting OMF files, which is like basically they'll they'll send me the you know the session the 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 session file that has basically they've added. Usually they've added dial- the dialogue from the spot uh, and the content. You know, whether it's all broken out, so there might be a voiceover. That's the the voiceover might you know be a, an intro. You know, these spots can range from anywhere from a five second to a couple minutes, depending on what they're promoting. Uh, so it'll be a voiceover that's basically a voice that's kind of their um, branded sound that's going to tell you when the show's going to you know mm-hmm. coming soon or Tuesday at eleven or whatever. And those are. Uh, that's there. The dialogue. Uh, usually, there's uh, s- several master st- st- stems of stereophile music. Could be the stems they're broken out, or it's just a couple you know, different versions of dynamically what they're doing. And then there's sound effects. And then, um, so yeah, basically that's what I get in a raw form. And it could be crazily like there could be a VO clip on one track. It could be on all these dis- tracks that they've just thrown stuff at it, and they're just looking. They're basically what happened. Comedy Central, all these networks, Paramount, they all came together because they're under one brand. And the um, basically they they were they were, at first they were uh, early on they were allowing these creative directors that were more visually based to rough mix them and send them right to the network. And it was just the sound, everything was just not mixed at all. So there wasn't any kind of cohesiveness of the audio, mm-hmm. you know, the final master of levels or anything. So anyway, they they when they all came when they merged, when Viacom CBS merged, there was this kind of like we everything has to at the end go through a final audio post mixer to to make sure that everything is dialed in and, and perfectly levels and and for TV. So that's kind of where they brought me in cuz there was just so much when that happened then they had all this all this content that had to be mixed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I get stuff that's in raw form, and then like I'll get I get notes in the morning, and my, we might try to do four, we might kick out four or five a day, depending on how, how short, fast they want to work, and so whether it's a movie spot like a you know Yellowstone or Sixty Eight Whiskey, which is an original show that's um, around Howard um, on Paramount. Uh, a lot of it could be a lot of heavy sound design that they they don't do. They might just rely on me. They might just say, "Hey, could you finish out the sound? We need explosions. We need gunfire." And and we you know they have they have a massive library of sounds. So I pull from some of my own, but 
but I just log in and there's, you know, you're still creatively looking for sounds, but you're, you're pulling from a library that Viacom has gotcha. stored. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so it's some sound design, but basically like, uh, you know, bringing in this, uh, rough audio format from their template and bringing it in and, and dialing in all those, you know, EQs, uh, there might be dialogue that's, you know, could be, in, could be noisy or you know just you just don't know where it's been recorded mm -hmm. some of it's in the studio but some of the dialogue could be just you know street noise or anything so there's kind so of a lot of that some some restoration and then final mix of um you know voiceover dialogue sound effects and music trying to blending all that together in a quick spot yeah yeah <laughs> that's awesome it's fun that's such a, a unique position to be in you yeah, know. it's and it's uh you know and then it's um in getting to know creative directors you know obviously some of that subjective on just how you really want to learn how those people hear it the spot mm -hmm. you know they've spent a lot of time on on a spot um, and so just learning kind of like okay how much how loud should the VO be you know do they want to hear more of the track and the music track or you know coming from a music background you know uh, you know you, you obviously I'm music focused, so but I got to be careful with like that that the music's not drowning out. They're getting the point of well, when's this show going to be on? Not hey, listen to that great right. sub bass, you know. <laughs> right. It's not really the focus. That's, that's our focus is yeah, the music yeah. I was like, usually, listen to that so. low end, am I, you know? But yeah. it's like, but I'm muddying up when they're telling the people when the show's going to be on. You know, it's, it totally doesn't yeah. make sense. So just that building that learning kind of each because they're all I'm getting hit from different networks from creative directors from Paramount, Comedy Central. TV land, you know, I'm getting this random shows or, you know, and so like they're just different. They hear things different mm. or like a, or a 68 whiskeys. It's like a military show. So all this, all the explosion, that's more important, you know, the intensity of, you know, trying to build. And I, I think I love it. Cause it's like, I try to bring my music, like the aggressive aggressiveness, depending on the spot of like, from my music background of hitting, you know, things like really making something to where you're trying to really make somebody want to watch that show and mm -hmm. the intensity of that moment it's fun to kind of like work on that dynamically in the mix to make yeah. people feel like whoa that's powerful I want to, I want to watch that yeah you know? it's pretty fun yeah we always say that you know how important the music is to to a tv show or a movie or whatever um but you're expanding outside of that world just a little bit mm -hmm. you know still in the entertainment industry obviously but um, taking their pr production skills and things that you've acquired through music and able to apply it to a broader range within the entertainment industry, which is, which is really cool. Um, man, it's such a cool thing that you get to be a part of oh, all that. Yeah. Man, you've had, you've had, uh, a long, long and very, you know, tapestry type career of so many different things that you've been a part of. I mean, getting to tour, full-time and work do studio work on huge albums and you know producing and um and then working in in this stuff that you're doing now man it's just really cool songwriting and all that kind of stuff has been uh really just really cool to get to watch and see you be a part of yeah. so many different things and so very, like i said we could grateful. we very could talk grateful. about this stuff for hours yeah, and hours on the end <laughs> yeah so well thank you yeah. just real quick just to kind of wrap it up you know what kind of You've already given a lot of advice, but is there any any kind of last minute advice that you would give do's or don'ts you know, for people? I, I, man, just encouragement, I think, and just um, you know, if you're passionate about it, you know, if you love it, don't you know? I grew up in the Midwest, you know, St. Louis, Missouri. My, you know, I didn't think that I didn't think that music was an option, you know, as like a career. Because mm -hmm. my and I, and I, I can't fault my mom and dad. You know, they they grew up in the Midwest. It's like you know, you didn't you. 
you were a business person or you, you know, you had a trade or whatever. But music was just like something these people did in the West Coast or something, you know. So, but I, that's not that's not to fault them at all. It's just I don't I just was so interested in giving it a shot, you mm-hmm. know. And and sometimes it, there is a leap of faith of, you know, I I do believe in. Um, Sometimes you gotta move. You got you gotta if you if you really want something and give it a shot. You know, like I feel like music music towns are it's kind of important. Like we've talked a lot today about just and I, as I run through all these experiences, like oh that person or you know it's those those referral things and those mm-hmm. people you meet and taking a chance and let's have coffee or yeah. you never know how that's gonna come back. So and there's some of that just ha- only happens because you're in town in, in whatever town you you know New York, L.A., Austin, here or whatever. But sometimes you just gotta kind of engross yourself in those communities. To be able to like be, it's hard to do it remote. I think, yeah. and, and I feel that way some a little bit with if I this kind of film TV world, I kind of feel thankful at being in Nashville. But so I'm like, oh, do I need to make some? Maybe I maybe I need to commit to a couple trips a year to just to be up in New York or, or LA just to kind of, you know, there's there's an, only so much you can do on LinkedIn. You know right. what I mean? I can do, but I mean sometimes that and right now obviously with COVID and stuff it's a little tough. But maybe when this all opens up again, I I I don't mind just. I, that it's that kind of being in front of people and you know maybe there'll be i'll do a few just to kind of keep networking there but i think that's it just encouragement to keep practicing your craft what are you passionate about you know and do, i think diversifying you know we've talked a lot about i didn't think you know i i remember even thinking like you know i was more of an electric guitar player and my dad like you need you know are you playing any acoustic guitar? And I, if, when I was a kid, I was like, ah, acoustic guitar. That's like, you know, that's not fun. I want to play. Lee, I want to play like Neil Sean, you know, yeah. or Journey. You know, I want to play Lee. But as you think about, you know, those things slowly, like, okay, I gotta, I gotta have these skills or branching out and just opening my mind to. I never would have thought. And like, I don't think of myself as I'm a mix engineer, but these days I feel like to diversify to if you really want a long career, I feel like these days with the technology. You know, if you want you want to do something, you open your mind and learn the learn the skills. Mm-hmm. It's available for anybody. I don't, you know, like I know a lot of great mix engineers that are, you know, mix really great records and they're awesome. Um, but I consider myself, you know, just because of a lot of it's just putting the time in and yeah. figuring it out. And, yeah, and so many of us we have to, especially as independent musicians, yeah, independent artists, um, you know, we can't. You've you've been blessed throughout your career at different times to only have to focus on one yeah. certain thing at that particular time. Yeah. I have, you know, and now you're doing more. You know, kind of have to trying to yeah, kind of having to do multiple things yeah. at once, mm-hmm. which I have to do. You know, I got a lot of different things I have to. Definitely. But when it comes to um, producing, you know, the old days it was like you had an engineer, yeah, and then you had a mixer, <laughs> yeah. and you had the producer, you had the mastering yeah, guy, yeah, yeah, you know, and everybody did their own thing, yeah, all these session and, musicians, right, and, you know, and now like... nowadays you have to do it all, yeah, like I, I am literally everything. I am the from totally the beginning are, yeah. to finish, you know, the artist, the songwriter, the right. producer, the mixer, the editor, the master. The That's whole right, bit, man. you know, I have to do it all. Or me yeah. and maybe someone else, right. we'll get together, we'll, co- we'll co-produce, whatever. Yeah. But it's not a matter of one person does each thing anymore. Right. It's like, and you can't, you have to know those things. Yeah. So it's really important for people to make sure that you're learning those skills so that you can, that yeah, you can I be think, successful doing yeah, those I things. Yeah, I think, especially with software being so readily available and you can download, I think, a free Pro Tools or GarageBand, you know. Yeah. Dive in, like, if is there any younger younger gents out there guys and gals that want to be in music i mean grab an old computer get get the software start 
you know, learning how to record and you can buy these little boxes that get audio into a computer. It's like all that stuff. I just, I just kind of soaked it up. You know, I think when Mutt finally said, you need to branch, you know, it was like, I was so focused on guitar for so long. And then when production opened my mind to just like, whoa, this is a whole nother like mm-hmm. fun, cool way to maybe pursue the creative side of that's not just playing guitar for a living and being gone. And so, and then when technology hit and just like every time we talk, you know, everything comes out, whether it's software, he's like, hey, at least maybe there's something I can add to my arsenal of stuff that would help, you know, with new work, you know. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I see the mixing and the, everything's just kind of all merged where, man, if you can if you can offer all that different, you, you're just, you're, you're opening yourself up to a lot more opportunities to work, yeah. you know. And you totally. know that, you're doing yeah. that, so. So yeah. if uh, people want to check out some of your work, what's your website so people can come? Yeah, thanks. Okay, yeah, the evolving website is, uh, <laughs> changes to uh, I-65, it's the letter I and then 65music.com. Okay. And then hit me up on any socials. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Yeah, if you if you're a corporate, person. if somebody wants, yeah. if somebody if you work needs for brand, work, I'd love that. Yeah. If somebody needs needs work and needs yeah, that yeah. kind of work done. And then. you can, uh, yeah, uh, see, I think you can email me on the site, and uh, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, you know. But I'd love to chat, and I always love to. If there's anybody out there like trying to figure out what to do next, or I love talking to the next. There's always the next gen coming yeah. up, you know, and. It's fun, and it's fun. I've kind of gone back to Belmont a little bit, and I've got a few um, young buds down there that are studying and just trying to help, you know, encourage. And it's mm-hmm. fun to kind of help out people because there's, you know, it always changes over. So, yep. Anyway, man. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much for thank being you. on on the show today, and I, I'm very grateful. And no, oh, man, it's I'm, fun. It's I know people will take what we've talked about and and put it into practice into cool. their lives. I definitely hope hope that they do. Thanks. And, um, you know, and it will be helpful for them to do that kind of stuff. Thanks for for it. Yeah, buddy. Have a great day. Thanks, man. You too. Thanks. All right, guys. Well, there you have it. Another amazing interview with another amazing artist, musician. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I hope you're taking lots of notes during these interviews and that you are able to find ways to put these things into practice into your life and into your career. Uh, I, I would love for you to reach out to me and let me know what you think about the podcast and um, you know how these things are working out for your career, how you're able to put these things into practice into what you're doing. I would love to hear from you guys. You can email me at contact at johnmartinkeith.com. I would love to hear from you and to kind of get a feel for what, what you guys are thinking about what you're hearing on these episodes and these interviews, and that would be a wonderful thing. Uh, be sure, if you would, to continue to subscribe. If you haven't already, please, whatever platform you're listening to it on, please subscribe and like um, the podcast and be sure to share it with your friends and let them know about it. Let them know about it so we can continue to get the word out um, all over the world. And uh, I'm just super grateful for you guys listening and being a part of what we are doing here. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.